We're going to do things uh, a little bit differently. Uh, we've been working our way through a series, but we're, we're taking a break. And we're going to do a couple of different kind of topical things, uh, which isn't, isn't necessarily the norm. But uh, today we're going to be we're going to be looking at humble service or how to be a, a humble servant. And I think that this is a, a particularly uh, poignant topic in our culture and in our society. Because uh, if, you, if you were to ask just kind of the average Joe on the street, like, what's your goal in life? Uh, most likely you would hear something like, you know, I want to get a get ahead. I want to make a name for myself. I want to um, be great. I want to do this well. I want to do that well. I want, I want to get stuff or be somebody. You know, that's that's kind of the way that that our culture thinks, and that's the way that our culture um, encourages people to go. And there are aspects of that that aren't necessarily bad. But as a whole, that kind of goes against what the Bible says a, a Christian should be. Constantly, as, as we read through the New Testament, as we read through and look at uh, the life of Jesus in the Gospels, we see, we see Jesus passing up opportunities to be famous, uh, to have everybody notice him. And he just kind of slips away. And, you know, the, the disciples say, hey, are you going to establish your kingdom now? And he says, well, no, not yet. I'm just waiting. You know, that time will come. There will be a time where, where Jesus makes a name for himself. Right? But that happens at the end. And while he was here on earth, he set us an example of, of humility. And service. He gave up his position as God to come and to serve us, to be an example for us, to give his life for us. He didn't come to have his best life now. His life was actually pretty tough. And he went through a lot of hard things and he died. A really, really painful, awful death. Why did he do that? Because those are the things that God actually considers great. True greatness is not in your wealth or what people think of you, but true greatness is in how you serve people and how you help others understand God more and how you help others in their walk with Christ. And that's all done through, through humble service. Through making less of yourself and more of others. And that's kind of, you know, a, a theme that is uh, pretty consistently shown throughout the New Testament. And you know, as we, uh, as we come up on the holiday of Thanksgiving, I think that this is a, again particularly good topic because in order to, to truly be thankful, you have to uh, have a little bit of humility in there. In order to truly have, have gratitude for something, you have, to, you have to acknowledge that somebody else has done something for you. Does that make sense? That's what thankfulness is. And when we say we're having a, a holiday called Thanksgiving, really what, what we're trying to focus on is, you know, the, the blessings that God has given us. He has given us much. And in order to, to see that, we have to, you know, we have to humble ourselves and say, you know what? Whatever spot I'm in in my life, I'm here because of God and what he's done, and not necessarily because of my own smarts or my own talents, my own abilities, you know. If you have that, that view, then it's really hard to give thanks because in your mind you're going, well, 
I did this. I'm here because of me. I'm smart. I put in a lot of hard work, and by golly, I'm, I'm at this place in my life because of what I've done. And the only person that you're really thankful for then, in that case, is you, right? And is that what Thanksgiving should be about? Thank you, God, because I'm so awesome? I don't think so. But it should be a, a humble realization of, thank you, God, because I'm nothing. You are everything, and you've, you've given me so much. It takes humility to be thankful, and one of the things that I think we should truly be thankful for in our lives is the way that, that God has used others in our lives to serve us, and the way that we, hopefully, have been able to serve others. That is a, a great picture of what the body of Christ really should be. Everybody working together, helping each other, serving one another, so that I can make a name for myself? No. So that others can be helped and so that God can be glorified. A, a definition of, of service, which we're going to talk a little bit about that I kind of pieced together, is using your abilities, gifts, and resources for the benefit of someone else to the glory of God. And that's what we are going to be talking about this morning. Service. Why should we do it? How can we do it? And, and I really do think that it kind of, you know, fits with, with the season that we're in, the season of Thanksgiving, because this is a time for us to reflect on what has God done for us and also, you know, how do we move forward? And the real practical application of what we're going to be talking about is, well, am I being a servant? Am I serving others? And am I really thankful for the service that I receive from others? So as we get into this, let's, uh, let's first pause and let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word that you've given us. And Lord, I pray that as we, as we take time to consider several different passages and the implications for our lives, Lord, would you... Would you guide our thoughts? Would you um, encourage us? Would you convict us if needed? Lord, I pray that you would um, speak through me, that you would use this time to, to draw us closer together as your body here in Edgewood. Lord, help us to, to leave this place not, not the same. And Lord, I, I do thank you that we have the, the freedom to, to pray, to praise your name, to sing songs of, of praise and worship to you. Lord, it truly is a, a privilege to be able to, to come to church. Lord, we thank you for that. Let us not take that for granted. Lord, we do pray for uh, Pastor Jeff as he's uh, finishing up his trip and in Japan, would you watch over them as they travel back? And would you uh, just continue to use him um, in the Burns' lives? Um, he's not over there just for uh, vacation, but he's going there to, to serve, to encourage the Burns. And so we pray that, that you would give him wisdom in doing that. And Lord, um, yeah, we, just, we commit this time to you. We ask that you be glorified through it. In Jesus' name, amen. So the, uh, the passage that we're going to eventually get to is 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, where Paul is talking about the body of Christ and how it works together. Um, but before we get there, I want to look at Romans a little bit. And... With this idea of service and being a humble servant, uh, Paul's going to give us a little bit, you know, like I said, instruction in 1 Corinthians 12. But um, 
the question could be asked, like, why would we even want to be a servant? You know, what's, what's, the, what's the impetus for us to have this idea of service in the forefront of our minds? And it should be in the forefront of our minds. And it comes down to really, it should be a reaction to what God has done for us. And we see that pretty clearly in the book of Romans. What I want to do is just kind of breeze through uh, the first couple chapters of Romans and, and hit a couple verses, starting in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. We get some bad news here in Romans 1.18. It says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Bad news. The wrath of God is being revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And, you know, we're tempted to, to read over this verse and just be like, oh yeah, wrath of God, big deal. That's a big deal. <laughs> the wrath of God is, is not something that you want to be revealed against you. I mean, he is the, the creator of the universe. He is powerful beyond measure. He is just beyond measure, meaning... It just takes one thing. It just takes one act of unrighteousness. And you are under the wrath of God. That's not a good place to be. Well, you may think, but yeah, but I'm a pretty good person. Yeah, but it's just one thing. How many of you have lied? And the ones who don't raise their hand are lying. So you just did it, so raise your hand. Right? Okay. How many of you have stolen something? Probably several of you. You know, like, we could, we could spend some time having confession here, but the point is, we've all sinned, right? And not only have we actively committed sin, but we've been born into sin. We have a sin nature. And because of that, here we are. We're under the wrath of God. Because the wrath of God is being poured out against all ungodliness. That's bad news. That's real bad news. Let's turn the page. Romans 3.23. Probably know this verse. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, Paul takes some time in, in chapter uh, 2 and 3 to deal with, with anyone who thinks that they might be able to claim righteousness. He says, no, you can't. You can't do it. There's no way that you can claim to be righteous. And he ends up by saying, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's every single one of us. But then he, he gets into some good news. So that's the bad news. You're under the wrath of God because of your sin. You are condemned. You are guilty. You are deserving of an eternity in hell. But, chapter 4, we have this example of a guy named Abraham. And it says that Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. And we have this, this glimmer of hope here that there is something that we can do to where we can be accounted as righteous and then no longer under God's wrath. And in fact, we see in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm, I'm a kind of guy who doesn't get real excited outwardly. But this is a verse, when you read it, you should just go, woo, 
Yes. I, I'm no longer at odds with God. It says right here, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. So that wrath of God that is there in chapter 1, and Paul proves, hey, you're all under this wrath. In chapter 5, he says, actually, though, if you have faith, you've been justified, and you are at peace with God. No longer wrath, peace. And he goes on to, to talk about exactly how that happens uh, in our lives through faith. We, we are justified, we are cleansed. Uh, chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Meaning, all of those things that we have done wrong, somehow we will not be condemned. Meaning, we will not suffer the consequences of those sins, of those things where, where we rightfully should be punished. But we don't suffer the condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who have put their faith in Christ. It's gone. Hallelujah. Amen. And, and he keeps on going, and he's building this case for, um, you know, what God has done for us through Christ. And then we reach chapter 12. And chapter 12 is kind of a turning point in the book of Romans. And 12 verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I appeal to you, therefore, meaning all of this stuff that, that Paul has been talking about in the first 11 chapters, there's a reason that he's been talking about those things. Number one, because it's the good news of salvation, faith in Christ, no condemnation, peace with God. That's, that's salvation. And he says, all right, based on all that stuff, now, now here's how we should respond to all that God has done for us through Christ. Here is our proper response. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In other words, he's saying, look at what God has done for you. It's incredible. It's amazing. He has saved you from the pit of hell through Christ. And, and, and if you get that, if you understand, what should your response be? He tells us right here, he says, then present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice, meaning give everything that you are back to him. Present it as a sacrifice. This is no longer my life, Lord. I, I want it to be yours. Will you do what you want in my life? Because I can't believe that you would save me. I can't believe that you would look at me with love now because of your son instead of condemnation. I can't believe it. And, and in response, and I want to give my all to you. And that doesn't just mean like one day a week, does it? No, it means everything, right? Now, how easy is that? Piece of cake. Got that down, right? No. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not easy because we, we still have this body of flesh that is working against us. We still have an enemy that is working against us. And, and this is the struggle that we're in. We, we see, hopefully, God's plan of salvation through Christ. 
And hopefully we've responded in faith. And hopefully we can agree with Paul here and say, um, you know what? It just makes sense. After all that God has done for me to present my body, myself to him. This is my act of worship to God. Hopefully we, we can, you know, be there in our heart. But, but the difficulty is that we have all these things that, that war against those desires to fully present ourselves to God, right? And that is the Christian life. It's, it's not always easy. Satan would like nothing better than for us not to present our bodies, all that we are, to Christ and to God. He, he would like nothing better than for us to be selfish and to want to hold back aspects of who we are and what we have from God. Because Satan doesn't like the fact that you're saved. And, and he doesn't like the fact that, uh, that by doing what Romans 12 says here, we can bring glory to God and we can bring others to faith in Christ through this. He doesn't like that. He doesn't want it. And so he's going to fight against it. One of the ways that he fights against it is by making us selfish. Or by presenting opportunities for us to be selfish, I should say. By tempting us towards not working together, towards not being a servant, and towards only looking out for number one. And instead of saying, Lord, my life is yours today, do with it as you will, saying, Lord, I got a lot of stuff that I need to do. Will you help me? And maybe kind of tag along, and if I need you, I'll ask for your help. But, you know, if not, just kind of be quiet, okay? Which, you know, if, like, how many of us would actually consciously do that? Probably not many of us, but how many of us practically do that? You know, we just, we go through our day. We do the things that we need to do. We get our checklists. We, you know, and are we serving God through those things or are we just doing our own thing? It's a good question. Well, in light of what God has done for us and in light of Paul saying, you know, you need to present your bodies as uh, holy sacrifices to God. And this is, this is the way that you worship him. This is your spiritual act of worship. One of the things that we can do is to serve one another as the body of Christ. Uh, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're not going to look at this whole chapter. Um, we're, we're just going to focus on Verses 12 through 27. So follow along as, as I read these verses. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. For just as the body is one and has many members, or excuse me, for the body, ah, where did I go here? For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body Though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, 
I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We're going to stop there. So Paul is talking to the Corinthians, and he is trying to explain to them uh, God's plan for, for the church. And he's using this metaphor of a body. And the purpose for this is that the, the Corinthians, um, they were an interesting bunch. They had uh, several different problems. One of the problems that they were struggling with in, in a big way was that they, they had this mindset that they wanted to be the best. They wanted attention. They wanted everybody, you know, when they gathered together, they wanted everybody to notice them. It was all about me. It was a very selfish church. And the proof of that is that when it came time to, to get together, there was all kinds of, of bickering over who was going to talk, who was going to do this, who was going to do that. And then, you know, there was like, oh, well, that guy just said something really cool about the Bible. Hmm. Let me think. How can I one-up him? You know, and then you would stand up and say something great, and then there would be five other people who would be like, oh, how can I one-up that guy? And, and they'd stand up, and then someone would interrupt that person who's speaking because, well... They don't care about that person. They just want to make a name for themselves. They want to be the spiritual person. And in their desire to be the spiritual person, they were proving that they weren't, <laughs> that they were indeed selfish, and that they were only looking out for themselves. They weren't doing what, um, what Paul had encouraged the Romans to do, to offer their whole bodies to God as a living sacrifice. They were... They were uh, struggling to get fame and notoriety for themselves. And so Paul gives them this example of the body, and he says, okay, this is how you guys need to work. This is how you guys need to operate together. Right now, it's like if you were to use the, the metaphor of the body, the Corinthian church would be like the right hand is, is trying to do one thing while the rest of the arm isn't willing. So you got the hand kind of struggling for, over there, but the arm's trying to go this way, and it just doesn't work together, right? If, if I want to pick something up, my shoulder has to work together, my bicep, my elbow, my forearm, my fingers, my whole hand, it's got to work together to go pick up my pencil. And you think, wow, Ryan, that's really profound. <laughs> but it is, isn't it? Because what if my thumb all of a sudden decides I'm going that way? Well, I dropped the pen, right? It doesn't work. Everything's got to work together. It's got to be in unison. And the thing is, who gets the glory in all of that? I picked up my pencil again. Yay. Was it the elbow that did it? No, the elbow's way down here. Was it the fingers that did it? Well, yeah, they're touching the pencil, right? Well, but wait, how did they get there? Well, the shoulder. But how did that happen? You know, and there's, the point is, the whole body was involved in getting this pencil. I've got all kinds of stuff going on inside me that you guys can't see, and thank goodness you can't, right? 
There's blood pumping. There's digestive juices flowing. There's all sorts of stuff going on for me to pick up this pencil. Does the glory go to the fingers? No, it's like it's the body working, right? And that's a, a, a simple, almost too simple kind of illustration, but that's what the Corinthians need. And I think that's sometimes what, what we need to be reminded of too is all of us here, guess what? We are the body. We should be working together. We should be serving one another. And if something good happens in our church, we have a great harvest festival or we have an outreach event and 10 people come to know Christ, like, where does the glory go? See some fingers. Yes, good. <laughs> Does it necessarily go to like that, those individuals who, who are there doing those things? Well, I mean, in some respects, like, yes, praise God for those people who are there doing those things. And yet, in the bigger picture, there's a huge support network behind them that they, they couldn't have done those things without them. And so it would be wrong for them to just take all the glory for it because that's an outworking of the body of Christ here at Edgewood, right? And if we're, if we're focused like we should be, we come back to the, the fact that we say, you know what? This was all of us, but all of us would be nothing without the head, right? Who is Christ. And so the glory goes to Christ. It's not me. It's not necessarily you. It's God, you know? And that's how the body should work together. Um, and the way that the body works together is, is through service. Me, using my gifts, my talents, my resources for the benefit of others, to the glory of God. You, using your gifts and talents and resources for the benefit of others, to the glory of God. Like that is the, the way that the body works together is through service. And this is, this is so important in the life of the church because a body that works well together um, will do things. A body that doesn't, to, to go back to the metaphor, is, is sick. You know, there are all kinds of, of human diseases where the, the problem is that one part of the body isn't functioning like it should. Or there's like improper communication between parts of the body. And so things shut down and, and things don't work like they should. And, you know, we don't want to go too far on this metaphor because um, it's a metaphor. But it's a good one. And, and there are a lot of correlations to problems that can happen in the church. You know, if this section over here decides, well, we're the south section and we're doing this. And this section over here says, well, we're the north section of Edgewood Bible Church, and we're going to do this. And you in the middle are like, I, I don't know. How's that going to work? It, it's not. The, the goal would be that we as a church have things that we are working towards, and everybody does their part. Right? Right? Now, notice in this, um, in this metaphor to the Corinthians, the, there's some interesting things here. Look at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. 
So let's just take that first verse there, that I can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Just like there are different parts of the body, there are different parts of the body of Christ, and we all have differing uh, gifts and abilities and talents and, and things that, that God has given us to do. Not all of you should be Sunday school teachers. Not all of you should be a deacon. Not all of you should be fixing food for events in the kitchen. You know, like, there are different things that people do in our body and praise God, right? The fault that the Corinthians were or the error that the Corinthians were going towards is they were looking for the biggest and best and saying, I want to do that, even though they may not necessarily have been um, supposed to be doing those things. Now, um, it, sometimes it's a weird position being a pastor. You know, I'm up here, I'm talking to you guys on teaching the Bible, and it would be wrong of you to sit there and say, Pastor Ryan is so amazing. (laughs) He's so spiritual, and he knows his Bible so well, and I want to be exactly like him. Be careful. (laughs) Number one, Boy, if you really knew me. (laughs) No. But, you know, if that's not what God has called you to do, if that's not your place in the body, then don't strive for it. You know, if it's not you, that's okay. But here's the thing. There is something that God would want you to do in the body of Christ. So the question is, what is it? Not all are called to be teachers. Not all are called to set up chairs every week. Not all are called to clean the chapel. But some are, and they do it. Not all are called to be a leader in Awana. But some are. And if that's you, you should do it. And you should do it with all your heart. And you should be happy about that opportunity to serve. Because you're functioning as a part of the body. Now, I've I've mentioned some things that are, you know, related to different programs in the church. But here's some other things. Like, not all of us are real good encouragers. But some of you are really good at that. And when you see a need of somebody in the body, you go and you encourage them. And and nobody asks you to do it. You know, you don't get a a phone call from me or Pastor Jeff saying, hey, you need to go talk to this person. You just go and you do it. And that is awesome. You are functioning as part of the body. You are helping the body. And that is an act of service to God. You're you're helping the body work. You know, we don't have an an official uh, encouraging ministry. Maybe we should. But that's just something that, that you guys, as the body of Christ, should be doing. And it's an act of service to each other. And it takes humility, you know? Um. There are, there are, I could go on and on. There are a lot of different parts of the body. And the point that he's saying is, look, not everybody's an eye. Not everybody's a hand. So your task is figure out what you are and then do it well. And verse 22, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. 
Some may say that, oh, well, I don't really do much in the church. But then you find out, like, they're one of those people who goes around and just offers encouragement, offers practical help to other people. You're doing a lot. In the body of Christ, there are no big, important jobs and then small, little jobs that don't matter. They all matter. And they're all important. And, and the, the trap that we fall into is that we think um, maybe some of the more upfront kind of roles are the most important. Are they? Well, kind of. <laughs> I mean, they are important, but... They're all part of the body working together. You know, if you just had a head and no body, you would be dead. <laughs> right? But the, the head does a lot of stuff. You know, if, if you just had legs, well, you could maybe go places, but you wouldn't be able to do anything, you know? Like, there, everything is important. And he says, um, on the parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts, they're treated with greater modesty. You know, this is kind of a strange part of the metaphor, but, you know, we cover up certain parts of our body, right? And... and why do we do that? Well, because um, they're deserving of, of more modesty, of more um, attention. Those parts that we don't want attention brought to, we pay more attention to them. Which is Paul's way of saying, there is nothing that is, um, that is insignificant. It's all significant. In the mind of, of God and in the practical life of the body, everything is significant. And it all has to work together. Verse 24, um, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. This is, you know, God here, and he's saying those parts that seem like they lack honor I'm going to give them more honor. I'm going to make them more important. Which means if you're out there and you're thinking, well, I, you know, I'm not the pastor up front. I'm not an elder. I, I don't lead this. I don't do that. I don't, but you have a way that you are serving and using the gifts that God has, has given you for his glory. You are just as significant as anyone else. And... Verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We're in this together. We need each other. We need to work together. We need to serve one another as the body of Christ. And if that all happens, then, then great things can happen in the church. Not saying we'll explode to, you know, some 10,000 member mega church, but if we work together, if we use our gifts and talents and abilities together for the glory of God, God will be glorified through that and we will be a great witness to our community. If they see us working together as a body, they'll go, man, look at that. That's what, that's how things should be. You are the body of Christ individually, you're members of it. Now, our, our motivation for working together, for, for serving one another, is that God has saved us. He has done everything for us to bring us out from under the wrath of God 
into a place of grace and mercy and forgiveness through his son. As a result of that, we need to have this idea that we're going to work together as the body of Christ. We want to be unified. We want to help each other. You know, so, so how do we do this? Well, whether you realize it or not, God made you the way you are for a reason. Turn back to Psalm 139. In Psalm 139, verses uh, 13 through 16, David's writing this, and he's talking about just how amazing God is. And Psalm 139, 13 through 16, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your, in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And he goes on. But the point is, like, God is deeply involved in who we are. He, he helped mend us together, knit us together in our mother's womb, and he's given us different abilities and, and natural talents. So one of the ways that, that we can work together, one of the ways that we can be a servant is by using those natural abilities and talents for his glory. Are you a good singer? Guess what? God gave you that ability. Use it for his glory. Are you good at math? Guess what? God gave you that brain. Use that ability for his glory. Well, how can I use math for God's glory? I don't know. Get creative. There are people in the church who need help with their personal budgets. You're a math whiz. Help him. You know, there's one way. It, things that we may just see as, well, I, this is a gift. This is something that I, I have. Um, and I, maybe your job is related to that, but you start thinking, well, yeah, but I don't know. How can I use that for God's glory? All I do is swing a hammer all day. Well, there's a lot of people in the church that could use somebody who swings a good hammer. So, offer your service. Anybody need work done at their house? You know, and we think of that as like, oh yeah, but that's just, I'm just working at somebody's house. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and you are helping that person. You are encouraging another brother or sister in Christ, or maybe you're doing it for your neighbor who doesn't know Christ, and through that, you can use those gifts and abilities to bring glory to God and, and to share the gospel with this person. Our natural gifts and abilities we can use to serve others, and we should use to serve others, whatever that may be. Not only do we have our, our natural gifts and abilities, but we have, um, we have spiritual gifts. There are several uh, portions of the Bible that, that list off different um, grace gifts. These are talents, abilities. These are things that, that God gives us when we become a Christian um, that, that may not be a natural gift or ability. Uh, Romans 12 lists some, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 talks about spiritual gifts. Ephesians 4 talks about spiritual gifts. And unfortunately, we don't have time to actually run through all of that stuff. But um, have you ever felt like, I should do this, but then you go, yeah, but I'm not good at that. 
Anyone? You know what that might be? That might be God trying to show you, yeah, you might not be good at this, but I'm going to give you the ability to do this, and it's going to be good. And it's going to be something new for you, and you're going to have to trust me in this. And so you'll grow in your relationship with me, and you'll help serve others, and it's going to be really good. That's kind of how spiritual gifts work. So if you have that nagging like, boy, I really feel like I should do this, guess what? You probably should. And if you have that nagging, oh man, I'm scared to do this. Well, that's part of it. Enjoy it. <laughs> um, I really hate talking in front of people. Do you know that? I've gotten a little bit used to it, but man, it scares me to death a lot of the time. <laughs> and when I was, you know, in high school, I just like, man, run from anything where I had to be in front of people. But then I, it was like God kept on putting opportunity opportunity, opportunity, and this, like, hey, you need to do this. You need to do this. And I go, eh. here I am. <laughs> you know, and, like, I don't say that to bring, bring, you know, glory to myself, but that's, like, I've, I've gone through this process of, like, having to, to submit my own um, desires and, and worries and inadequacies inadequacies and say, you know, God help me in this, and he's helped me. And he's been faithful. And he's brought me places I didn't think I was going to be. You know, and again, not trying to draw attention to myself, but he can do the same for you. Not that you're all going to become a pastor, but those things where he's leading you, he will equip you to go there. He will give you what you need to do it. So you can use your natural gifts and abilities and you can, the spirit helps us serve each other. We can share our, our resources. We can give our goods to each other. Acts 2 is a classic example. All who believed were together, had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad, generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The things that you have are not necessarily your own. Yeah, but I worked for it. Well, good, give it away. <laughs> right? I mean, you're not taking it with you. So, Use it for God's glory here. We can serve one another with our, our goods, the things that we have. We can serve one another with our money. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. If you're rich, he says, be rich rather in good works. Meaning, use your riches, your resources. Use them. Don't hoard them. And in doing such, you, you store up treasure for the future. As Matthew says, treasure in heaven. We can use our time. We can use any number of things, any number of resources that we have. We should be using those things as acts of service towards one another for the functioning of the body of Christ. That's just how we should work together as a body. So 
in light of what God has, has done for us, as an act of thanksgiving, we can and should serve one another in some way. You know, and you may be thinking, well, that, this seems like kind of a self-serving message here, Pastor Ryan. You just need more people for Awana, don't you? Well, yes, we do. So if you want to sign up, you can. But that's not why I'm saying this. I'm saying this because this is the Christian life. And yes, like you should be involved in church. You should be involved in the body of Christ. There are formal positions to do, to do that, like Awana, like Sunday school teacher, like uh, elder, like deacon, like women's ministry. But that's not for everyone. If it is, if God's laying that on your heart, then do it. But if it's not, then how are you serving the body? You know, that, that should be the question that we ask. How are you part of the body of Edgewood right now? And, and if you are sitting there going, hmm, I don't know. Well, time to do some praying. <laughs> time to do some thinking and, and open your eyes. And how can you be a part of the body here? It might be a formal thing. It might be an informal thing. Either one is good. But the thing is, we need to serve. We need to help each other. We need to act as the body of Christ out of thankfulness for what God has done. And if we do that, man, it's a beautiful thing. It's a picture of how God wants us to be. So, that's it for the morning. We'll wrap it up there. Um, but just, you know, hopefully as, as we go out, that question, you know, lingers. How am I a part of the body? And, and one last thing I'll, I'll say. Some of you may go away from this and go, man, yeah, I need to get more involved. But you're already involved in like 10 different ministries and you just have this constant guilty conscience like I'm not doing enough. Well, you're probably okay. <laughs> you know, like if you're already involved in, in a ton of different stuff, I'm not saying get more involved. But if you're not, then I am saying get more involved. Do stuff. Serve. Serve one another Come ask me, hey, does the church need anything? And I'll point you in a direction. You know? So this isn't for you know, us who have that, oh, I need to do more guilty conscience all the time. This is for just like we all need to be doing something. Does that make sense? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for... Uh, the chance to look at your word this morning. Thank you for the opportunity that you give us to serve you in many different ways as the body here. And Lord, I just hope that, you know, from this morning, I hope that we're just uh, encouraged to be an active part of the body, your body, to bring glory to you through the things that, that you have uh, gifted us with Lord, you have made each and every one of us with different, uh, with different talents, with different abilities. You give us gifts and, and strength and courage to do things that we don't think we can do. Help us to be open to those things. And Lord, help us to be generous with, with our money, with our time, with our goods. Because Lord, they're, they're yours. Lord, we thank you that we are, through your son, not under your wrath. Lord, we thank you that through simple faith in you, we can be at peace with you. We don't have to fear condemnation. And Lord, I pray that as a, as a result of that realization, that you would put in us the desire to, to give our lives to you as a sacrifice as something that would be 
acceptable in your sight. Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen.